renovation. Right, right, right over here. All of that is very mysterious, right? Good morning, Oak Ridge family. Well, I have an idea of what spring training is like when baseball players come back from not having uh, played baseball for a long time. It's been four months since I preached anywhere. And so you're going to have to bear with me because uh, I, I'm back in spring training again. Lou has introduced our theme for the next uh, number of weeks covering the basic teachings of the Bible and our faith. That's what our theme is. And the template for our sessions is the Apostles' Creed, a compilation of the things we most surely believe. We've had a reminder of how important faith is, not just the power of faith, but the content of our belief. And better is a little faith in the truth than great faith in a lie. If you're going to come out and visit the Rennies and you've never been there before, do not trust your GPS. We live out in the country in Halton, north of Burlington, and many a person has trusted their GPS and gotten lost either in the back streets of Burlington or the hay fields of Halton. Because the GPS is unreliable. Somehow we fall through the cracks, uh, we, we're not on the grid, and uh, they don't properly identify uh, 5292, where, where we live on Walker's Line. So, trust the directions on the map, not on the GPS. The Apostles' Creed is a summary of the content of our faith. It is the directions, so that we can know what we need to believe as, as Christians and we can follow the truth. And it has been a creed that has been there for uh, many, many, many hundreds of years, many centuries, and Christians all over the world, in, in all places, in all times, have recited this creed so that they don't get lost in their faith. So once again, we're going to put the creed up, and we're going to stand, and we're going to say it together. All together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. This is our discussion for today. And we, along with Christians down through the ages, believe that God is almighty. Near our home in North Burlington, a hill rises up to the rock face of Mount Nemo. Kathy and I often walk this uh, road. It's called the Fourth Side Road. It goes straight up that hill. We walk it often for pleasure, but always we walk it for exercise. Sometimes it is hard labor, and we're puffing for breath as we approach the top. We encourage one another as we press upward. One of us says, remind me again why we are doing this. And then the other one will say, well, we needed, we needed this. And then we'll encourage one another and say, well, just a little bit farther. Then behind us, we hear the screech of tires, and round the bend comes a sports car. As we step aside, the machine hurdles its way up the steep grade, its full-throated engine roaring in triumph as it easily covers the distance to the top, leaving us in the dust. Power. Now, ladies, do you like a deep-throated car? But the guys here are saying, yeah, I'd like to hear it right now, right? And uh, it excites us. It thrills us. But man's power shrinks to inconsequence compared to the power of nature around us. The power of water, Niagara Falls cascading over the brink. The power of wind, the hurricane, the tornado. The power of the storm, the lightning flashing. The awesome power of the sun, the heater of our solar system. This is not man's doing. We believe it is God's power. He is omnipotent, which means he has all power. He created all things. He sustains all things by the word of his power. In fact, nothing is too hard for God. Regarding this, I would like you to hear one man's testimony, that of Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet of God. Now imagine that a news agency could go back in time and interview Jeremiah, right near the end of his ministry before 606 BC in Jerusalem. Jeremiah is in prison for his faith. Wolf Spritzer of TNN is there to interview him. By the way, TNN means, as we all know, Truthful News Network. So let's call Jeremiah and let's get on with the interview. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. 
Mr. Wolf. Would you be Jeremiah? Yes, peace be upon you. Well, that's, that's, makes good for the cameras. Have a seat, uh, Jeremiah. I understand they've released you from prison for a bit so that you could uh, talk to us on the news broadcast. Yes, it's good to be out. And I, I see that you've, you've uh, trimmed up a little bit. You've cut your beard. What about that? Yes, I, uh, I bought this at the uh, Denari Rama in Jerusalem. <laughs> now, Jeremiah, uh, we have to interview today for the folks at TNN and for the world. Uh, do you confirm or deny that you wrote this statement in regard to God? And I quote, nothing is too hard for God. Yes. Yes, and I stand by it still. God asked me that question. He said, is anything too hard for me? And I said, nothing is too difficult for Lord Almighty. Well, it appears that there are several areas where you preach God's power. And the first one is creation. Now, you were quoted as saying, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And you were also quoted, you also quoted God as saying, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are outstretched on it. Have you ever seen firsthand the evidence of this creative power of God? Like, have you ever done any miracles yourself? No, I have not done any miracles. Um, some of the prophets have, like uh, Moses and Elijah. But no, I, I haven't done any miracles. I was called to represent him as a teenager. That's my job. But I believe that God is the creator. And again, nothing is too hard for God. I see you're sticking by that. Well, we have to inform you of the new scientific information that has come to light about creation. It's a far bigger universe than you imagined. You see only 3,000 or so stars with your naked eye when you look up in the sky at night. Latest estimates are that our own galaxy is, has over 100 million stars and that there are hundreds of billions of galaxies beyond that. That's wonderful insight about the universe. But God's word says in the Psalms that God created the earth with his finger. It says that in Isaiah that he created the heavens with his hand. The heavens declare the glory of God. So how do you people think that the universe came into being? Well, uh, uh, science says it was the Big Bang. The, the Big Bang? Bang, uh, like boom. Like a big boom. Boom. Just yes. like that. Yes, boom. Huh. Well, what went boom? How did that happen? Help me understand that. Well, it's complicated and beyond the scope of our conversation here, but moving on from that, we don't, we don't any longer think that God created life, human or otherwise. Surely this is way out of your God's skill set. Life is much more complicated than you know. You see, the human body is composed of tiny parts called cells. You don't even see them. 
There are hundreds of billions of cells in the human body, more than all the known galaxies in the universe. Now, when you look smaller and you look inside the cell, you see a living factory and the master control of that that factory is, is in the cell is called the nucleus. And when you look inside the nucleus, very, very small indeed, you have the information for all the workings of the cell called the DNA molecule. Are you, do you follow me so far? I'm getting you. Yep. It has 23 chromosomes. Each is formed into a twisted ladder by its chemical bonding. When the cells divide to form new ones, the, the ladder unzips. Now, I know you're not too acquainted with zippers yet, but it, it unzips. And each side duplicates itself. A strand of human, human DNA, if you stretch it out, is about three meters long. And it contains three billion chemical pairs, each a piece of genetic information. Surely, this is too difficult for the parochial god you talk about. You know, Mr. Wolf, that's very insightful information about this DNA stuff and chroma something or other. And uh, you did talk about a master design. You said that they control the cells. I believe that God is the master designer behind that. He is the creator. He is the one that is, has the smarts to do that. What you're saying to me sounds like intelligent design. By, by the way, how do you think life began? Oh, well, I'm not a scientist. Uh, it's still not entirely clear to the scientists either, but we believe that it was a natural process. It was, it was all natural. And if, it, if, everything's na if anything is natural, it's good, right? Some chemicals just happened to get together in an ancient pond somewhere, and over millions of years, took a long time, they kept at it until they had organized themselves into all the life forms we know. Time and chance and natural processes. That is what we believe in. So help me understand this. Natural pawns. You're saying things went from goo to you? <laughs> Unbelievable. I still say nothing is too hard for God. Well, we'll have to leave that to another discussion, but uh, something else. It is reported that you just purchased some land outside of Jerusalem in Anathoth. Is, is that true? Yes, yes it is. Uh, God told me to sell the land to my nephew and that I would get it for the full price. So when he came, I gave it to him for the full price. Here is this, right in this jar. Okay, well, sorry to have to tell you this, but your God is not a very smart investor. And he, and he has deceived you. Didn't you know that while you've been in jail here, the armies of Babylon have been besieging the walls of Jerusalem? Anathoth has already fallen into the hands of the Babylonians. That land you bought is utterly worthless. You'll never possess it. Well, first of all, I'm not surprised that Nebuchadnezzar is at our gates. Indeed, I've been preaching this for some time. God has given him the power to rule 
Second, this deed appears worthless now, but it will be of great value in 70 years from now when Israel returns from the Babylonian captivity and the children of Israel are set free to inhabit the land, then my relatives will enjoy that land. God told me this also. What? You think that your God can deliver your people from the hand of the most powerful ruler on earth? Doesn't, doesn't that sound ridiculous? Look at you. This God of yours is not even powerful enough to deliver you from your dungeon. In Isaiah, the scripture says that his thoughts are not our thoughts, nor are his ways our ways, thus saith the Lord. But the word also says that the nations are a drop in the bucket. Man's power is small stuff to God. He raises kings and kingdoms, and he lowers them. He delivered Israel from bondage, and again, Babylon will fall in the coming days. God doesn't just experience history like us. He rules history. Nothing is too difficult for God. Well, there you go again, and that's blind faith for you. But there's one more statement of yours that we must discuss. You said that there would be some kind of uh, new covenant between man and God where God would change the hearts of mankind. Uh, we have written confirmation of this teaching, and I quote, our sources, if our sources are, are accurate, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Do you still stand by this statement? Yes, I do. I indeed do. This is the gospel, the best news of all. But, Jeremiah, that's precisely my point. Have you seen God do this in the hearts of those you have preached to? Oh, no. No, I haven't. This makes me very sad. Their hearts are hard like flint. You mean you have no converts? That's well, that's right. Well, there is Baruch my scribe, but his faith is very shaky. So if the nation did not listen to you at all, how can you believe that God will change hearts? Two reasons. First of all, God, Almighty God, said that it would happen. The word says that when Messiah comes, he will somehow bring forgiveness of sins, then he will enter into the hearts of those who trust him and by his spirit make them good and wanting to love God. I don't altogether understand this, but it will be a, tr 
transformation, not from our in outside being, outward being, but from our inward hearts. It's great stuff. The second reason I believe God changes hearts is because he changed my heart. He has loved me with an everlasting love. He has drawn me to himself with loving kindness. I'm so convinced. I love and trust my God. Nothing is too difficult for God. By the way, what about you, Mr. Wolf? Have you chosen to trust Almighty God? Have you experienced His power and love and forgiveness in your heart? Uh, oh, look, uh, Jeremiah, I'm short of time. Got to get to the next interview. The boss keeps us moving, you know. Deadlines and all that, uh, you understand. Uh, hey, thanks for the interview. Okay, shalom. Now, we specifically chose Phil because, of course, he comes from that area of the world. So uh, he was telling me all the ways they greet uh, one another. and uh, uh, So we, we got a, a real authentic Jeremiah-like person in Phil Wahab. Now, let's review the three areas where Jeremiah declares his faith in God Almighty. How that nothing is too hard for God, as Jeremiah says. The first one is creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Nobody was there to see it happen. And it is not a reproducible phenomenon. Therefore, technically, it is beyond the scope of scientific proof. Those who have taken science classes in high school or university believe in the scientific method and that is that you propose a theory based on some observation and you devise an experiment and you do your experiment and based upon the experimental evidence that can be seen and reproducing that evidence you now develop scientific fact it is scientifically confirmed when it is tested now in the Bible God told us what happened because he was there and nobody else was there. You believe it or you don't. You can believe in the Big Bang and maybe there was a loud noise and maybe there was an explosion at the beginning of this world. But it's an explosion that created such awesome beauty, such meticulous order. And it's an explosion that the Bible says came about not carelessly or with no sense of consequence. It was by the word of God that the, that the worlds were formed. He spoke and the worlds came into being. So Christians, whether or not they believe in a big bang, believe this. They believe at the beginning God spoke. 
The worlds were created by the word. Now, as Lou said, last week what we do see in this world is the footprints of God. Life is so sophisticated and highly complex in its design that it points in every way to a designer, a super-intelligent designer. The amazing design is one footprint of God. The initiation of life is another. I often meditate on that. How did life start? And... The Bible talks about life starting because God spoke and out of his speech came life because God is the author of life. So there's really only two viable options to believe in. You either believe that in a creating God, an all-powerful creating God, or you believe in spontaneous generation. Life came from non-life. That's the only other option. And I believe it takes far more faith to believe that life came from non-life than that life came from original life. I put my faith in God, the powerful giver of life. Now there are evidences, or at least there are phenomena that happen in this world called miracles. Some of us may have seen miracles. And that's when the normal events of creation are suspended and something supernormal happens that seems to contravene the laws of nature. You know, once God created this world, he did not come under the law of nature. God is above the law of nature, and when he cares to suspend it, he suspends it. And that's when miracles happen. They are supernatural displays of God's power. As far as we know, Jeremiah never saw or performed a miracle. But he still believed the word of God. Miracles do not prove the existence of God, but they affirm to those who believe that God is still a miracle-working God. Nothing is too hard for God. Have you seen a miracle with your eyes? I have been blessed to see several miracles with my eyes, and they are testimonies to God's great power. Many of you have heard this story, but it bears repeating. This happened to me when I was much younger, and I was a missionary working in Zambia, in Chitokoloki, Africa. And uh, I was doing surgery one morning when the nurse came in and said, the next case is a very serious case. A girl, a young teenage girl, has just come in from the village for the last 12 hours or so. She's been in great pain in her abdomen, and uh, it looks very serious. When I examined her, I realized that something very, very terrible was happening inside of her, and so we arranged for her to go to surgery. When I opened up her abdomen, I saw what looked to me like a death sentence. There were loops and loops of of distended and dark blackened bowel in her body. I realized that there had been a, a problem with the blood supply, and I felt for her, her mesenteric artery, and it was not pumping blood. Somewhere, somehow, her mesenteric artery had gotten blocked, the artery that, feels, that, that feeds valuable blood supply to her bowels, and her bowels were dying. I'd not heard this before. I've not seen it before. 
it, see, it seemed exceedingly unlikely that a Zambian, that an African in the bush would have a vascular problem because they eat such uh, a basic diet that their, their blood vessels are, are absolutely clear. What happened to this girl? I don't know. But she was dying. And this is the thing. I could do nothing about it. If I tried to take away that much uh, bowel and, and dissect it, she would die. If I left her, she would die. And I couldn't even close the incision because everything was distended. I realized that it was a hopeless situation I was in. I stepped back from the table. I talked with the missionary nurse. I talked with, the, with Reuben, our, our Zambian enrolled nurse who was taking care of the anesthetic. And I said, we've got to pray. This is beyond us. So we prayed. And over the next couple of minutes, to our eyes, we observed that this girl's blood supply to her bowel started to change. The blood started flowing again in the mesenteric artery. The darkened bowel started to become pink, and they started to function once again. Not too many minutes later, they were functioning normally, and I was able to close her incision and send her back to the ward under the nurse's care. I went to her the next morning and I said to her, do you realize last night that you had a death sentence upon you and that only by God's mercy did you survive? God did a miracle for you. She says, yes, because I'd given her a spinal anesthetic, she was able to hear every word in the operating room. She even heard the prayers we made for her. And she said, my mother had been telling me to become a Christian and I said no. But last uh, yesterday in the field, I got this terrible pain, and I realized I was very sick. When I heard you praying for me, I turned to God and I said, Jesus, would you save me? And he did. I'm trusting Jesus now. Nothing, nothing is too hard for God. The second aspect of God's power is his control over the history of man. The history of man. He rules over the nations of mankind. There are many prophets in the Old Testament that declare what God would do among the nations. The most famous were the prophecies of Moses regarding the ten plagues of Egypt. As Moses delivered them each time, they came true. And God is not just a lucky guesser of the future. He's always right because he makes history happen. No one can resist his will. No one can block his intentions. No one can delay his time schedule. Then God administered the final blow to Pharaoh. His armies were buried beneath a wall of water. The back of the most powerful army in the world was broken, and the Israelites went free. Now Jeremiah declares that in 70 years, the back of the most powerful nation of that time would be broken, and once again, the Israelites would be set free. Jeremiah's prophecy was before 606 B.C., Babylon defeated Israel and captivity began in 606 B.C. The Jews returned to Jerusalem exactly 70 years later in 536 B.C. and established themselves in Jerusalem once again. God is ruler over the kingdoms of the world. It did not look like Pharaoh could ever be defeated. He was. Did not look like Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of Babylon could ever be defeated. He was. He took the most powerful man and he brought him to nothing. 
On Friday, many of us witnessed the inauguration of Donald Trump as President of the United States of America. The fact that he was elected was itself beyond belief, as it seemed that Hillary Clinton had an insurmountable lead in the polls. God knew what was happening. Precious few other people did. Now he is the leader of what is arguably the most powerful nation in the world. Past presidents ruled from the Oval Office. But it seems that President Trump will rule from his Twitter account. He seemed to be a powerful man before the election. But now he has the office to go with it. To some, this is very scary. To some, this is very out of control. How can this willful man, with no political past, make good history? But let this be believed by all. Trump can do nothing apart from God's sovereign hand. God raises kings and he lowers them. Our part is to trust God. As Franklin Graham quoted in the inauguration address, or the prayer before the inauguration, he said, he quoted 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 to 2, he says, let prayers be made for kings and for all who are in authority. We pray for the men, but we trust that God, God will accomplish his purposes. And we know this, he will. Why? Because nothing is too hard for God. And in the coming days, although difficult things may happen, we know that God is overall. And this world is, is, is fearful, and this world is trembling because of what might happen. But God is up in his heavens, and he does what pleases him. God is the God of history. The third area that Jeremiah talked about, where God's control is exercised, is in the heart of man. Nothing is too hard for God, not even to invade the heart of man. Jeremiah wrote of the new covenant, a promise that God would rule the human heart, not by outward force, but by inward transformation. And he says once again, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. That's the new covenant. God is not going to pressure people by outward force, although he could do it. He could put us to our knees. He could rob us of our breath. He could stop our hearts if he wanted at any time. He could eliminate us from off the planet with one word. doesn't do that because he loves us. So he comes gently to us and he invites us to trust in him and receive his life. The prophet Ezekiel put it this way, I, give you, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you. I once had prolonged discussions with a man who was filled with rage and anger. When he spoke of those things that angered him, he would foam, literally foam at the mouth, and his eyes would bug out. He was so angry with his wife that he called her a hyena with rabies. He was so angry with God that he would curse God. But over the course of time, he heard the gospel of God's transforming power. He heard of Jesus and put his faith in him. He repented of his hateful heart and he asked God to change him from the inside out. And you know what? 
I saw a miracle. God changed this man. He trusted in the Lord. He was reconciled to his family. He became a prayer warrior, a man who loved others and interceded for them. And he was able to, to serve his children and his grandchildren and be reconciled to his wife. This is the power of God's gospel. Now we need to look at how God accomplished this. How could God change hearts? Well, he sent his son Jesus to be with us. And the Lord Jesus didn't come just to show us an example of how to live. Because you see, darkened hearts do not receive examples. He had to actually die for us so that he could give his life away to us. That is how God works. And the hardest thing that God ever did, the hardest thing he ever did, was allow his son to die on the cross. And the hardest thing the son of God ever did was to be separated from his father for the hours on the cross as he bore the price of sin, as he paid for the sins of you and me, as he covered all of the debt because of our evil, so that we could give up our old sinful life and receive his new, holy, pure, powerful life within us. The risen Savior is the sign that God has done it for us. God conquers our hearts not by force of rule, but by a revolution of love. He invades our hearts tenderly with his life and causes us to love and to follow him. This is what the Bible calls the new birth, being born of the Spirit of God. And I tell you that of all of the miracles that God has ever done, this is the one that he enjoys the most. The one he enjoys the most is to see men and women come to him in faith and receive his life and be rescued from the darkness and the deadness of sin and become living creatures who will share eternity with him in fellowship with God. Dear friend, have you trusted in God's power to save you? Have you believed in God's dear son? Do you have a spirit in you today? You know, there's some people who might say, you know what, I can resist God's power on this one. God may be strong enough to do many things, but he's not strong enough to conquer my heart. I can resist God. I can resist it. I will refuse to believe and have him invade my heart with his love. Sadly, this is true. God allows this circumstance to happen. That men and women can resist God's tender overtures of love and life. But let it be known that God knew all along what your heart would be like. In spite of the fact that you resist God, God died for your sins. And he's made a way for you to be saved. And he waits for you to be saved, but he will not force you. And when you reject him, let it be known. God, the God of the universe, did all that was in his power to change your heart and mind. And you will live for eternity with the thought of how much you missed. Don't miss it today. Trust in the Lord. 
and you will receive his powerful love and life. Let's have the music team come up and sing for us.